I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today I want us to read out of Matthew chapter 19. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Matthew is located, what I would have you do is open up your Bible, physical Bible, open it up to the table of contents. Uh, There you're going to find that the Bible is broken up into the Old and New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So find the New Testament. There you'll find Matthew is the first book. And when you get there, scroll through until you get to chapter 19. Now, if you're in an app, pull down the list of the books of the Bible. You'll find that Matthew is about two-thirds of the way there. So click on Matthew and then into chapter 19. We'll begin uh, in that place. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered what humility is? It's a, it's a word that we throw around. Uh, it gets used in church a lot, uh, but it does get used in our society and culture quite often as well. But I would make the argument that humility is misunderstood, and to a certain extent, depending on what setting you're in, it may have a different definition. You know, we have four kids at home, and one of those children right now, uh, through foster care, we have a three-month-old baby boy. Uh, And that baby boy is humble. Uh, and, And let me explain what that means. This baby boy understands his place. He understands his relationship and his dependency on me and my wife. You see, when I pick that baby up and I pull him up to me, that baby doesn't reach around and grab me because he's scared that I'm going to drop him. No, he is completely relaxed and he nuzzles in. That baby realizes that I'm not going to drop him, that I'm going to care for him, I'm going to meet his needs. And so he, in relationship with me, He's humble. He understands who he is and his place in relationship to the one who gives him the care and provides for him. Have you ever thought about what humility means between us and other people? You know, we've been talking a lot over the last several months about loving others. You know, the, the, one of the greatest commandments that's given, uh, you can go in Matthew 22 and, and find this, Jesus gives what's called commonly the greatest commandments. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Humility is loving others as ourselves, putting others before ourselves. It's realizing that God calls us to put others as more important than we put ourselves. Humility is that, but humility also has a a different, slightly nuanced meaning when we think about our relationship to God and who we are in light of his perfection and his omnipotence, his all-powerful existence. You know, the fact is, is biblically, just like that three-month-old that I have at home, we are completely dependent on God. There's nothing that we have, there's nothing we can do without God. So are you humble in relation to God? I think that's something that we all need to ask. And luckily for us, today's passage uh, addresses it. Jesus talks about this very thing. So I want us to turn 
to Matthew 19. We're going to begin in verse 13. So Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. We're going to go all the way through verse 30. I'm not going to do that right now in this reading. We're just going to read about halfway and and do some addressing of, of different aspects of what Jesus is teaching and then finish up to the very end. So pick up with me in Matthew 19, verse 13. It says, Then children were brought to him, meaning Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Interesting account. Why am I putting these two together, I think is one of the questions that I need to tackle first. Well, the reason I'm uh, tackling these two passages together is because these two accounts are given in three of the Gospels. Now, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, and they're basically the biographies of Jesus's life. Now, these two accounts are in the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all three, they're both put together in this order where the children come to Jesus and then the young wealthy man comes to Jesus. And so they're connected, they're they're combined in an interesting way. And I wanna make sure to address it in its entirety. But before I go any further, let's give the big idea. If you've watched many of my messages, you know that I usually give a big idea and it's a simple statement that kind of summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this, your journey with Jesus hinges on humility. Your journey with Jesus hinges on humility. You see, the two, the the common factor in these two accounts is humility. And I'm going to unpack this idea as we go along. So let's tackle the first account that begins in verse 13. Pick up with me. Let's read it again. Verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. You see, he says that heaven belongs to those that are like children, but but how? Well, I think that he's saying that heaven belongs to those who are humble the way children are humble. You see, a child is humble. They, they understand their need for someone that's greater than they are. They understand that they are dependent completely 
on adults for their needs. They understand that they need an adult for them to be happy and healthy. And honestly, they trust in that dependency. Does that mean that they're never going to misbehave or act out or that their life is gonna be perfect? No, but it does mean that they, in their humility and their understanding of who they are and what their place is, that humility helps them depend on others. And so we, as followers of Jesus, are called also to be humble. We're supposed to be completely dependent on Jesus. Uh, There's no other way to unpack this concept. And so our humility, our understanding that we are 100% dependent on Jesus is what he's teaching here. Now, let me chase a a small side rabbit, a rabbit trail real quick, uh, because this is the second time in two chapters that Jesus has made very strong statements about children. If you were to go into the previous chapter, chapter 18, and start at verse one, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Catch this. This is why I came back to this. Verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. You see, Jesus teaches very clearly in Matthew 18, starting in verse one, that our childlike behavior is found in humility. But not only that, Jesus teaches, as he continues in Matthew 18, that he values children at a level differently than he values others. And I don't want this to sound uh, heretical. I don't want this to sound unbiblical or incorrect. But multiple times throughout the New Testament, Jesus makes very strong statements about the value that he has for children. And let me be very clear. We are called as followers of of Christ. We're called to love families, to love children, to value children. And that is why here at First Southern, we value children's ministry and, and student ministry and young adult ministry. And we will continue to value and invest in those ministries because Jesus values those children. And so I encourage you to partner with me and with our church as we continue to work as hard as we can to lead children to the life-changing hope of Jesus in the many ways that we do that. So Jesus values children, but, but he teaches us through that that the children are an example of the humility that we should have in our journey with Jesus, in in following Jesus. Go back to the big idea. Our journey with Jesus hinges on humility. It's essential, It's, it's so important. 
Now, he's going to dive even deeper into that in the next uh, account of his life. So pick up with me in verse 16 and let's read what happens next. And behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So Jesus is asked yet again, how do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? Uh, And Jesus tells this young man, follow the commandments, obey what God has told you to do. So let's unpack this even more. Pick up with me in verse 18. And the man said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What else do I still lack? So Jesus has unpacked the commands that he's telling this young man uh, to follow, to obey. But I want us to notice something that's very, very important that Jesus does intentionally in this passage. You see, the, the commandments that Jesus has listed out come from the 10 commandments that are found in Exodus 20. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, the second book of the Old Testament. And in chapter 20, Moses receives the 10 commandments from God. Now, in the 10 commandments, there are two sections. The first four of the 10 commandments have to do with our interaction with God. So no other gods before me, no graven images, don't use the Lord's name in vain and honor the Sabbath. Uh, So those first four commandments have to do with our connection between us and God. But the last six have to do with our interaction with others, with our fellow man. And so those six are honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. In other words, don't lie. And the last one is do not covet. In other words, don't pine after your neighbor's possessions and things like that. But notice that Jesus left that last one out. He didn't give that last command. Uh, Let me give it in its exact out of uh, Exodus 20. So if you were to read Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In other words, we're supposed to be content with what we have. Uh, This is the passage that tells us we're not supposed to be playing the keeping up with the Joneses game. This teaches us that we're supposed to be content in what God has already blessed us with. And in verses 20 through 22, Jesus unpacks this idea a little further. So it says, the young man said to him, all these I've kept what do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, Jesus left that last commandment out because he knew that that was the temptation. That was the sin that this young man struggled with because he wanted to teach this young man just how far his commitment to Jesus had to go. And so the man 
goes away sad, sorrowful, because he knew that that was the sin that he wasn't willing to give up yet. He wasn't willing to let go of his wealth and his possessions. And now Jesus teaches about, teaches his disciples about what they've just witnessed. So now pick with me, pick up with me in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, uh, or also translated, when things are all regenerated, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You see, Jesus tells us how hard it is to be saved if you're wealthy. But let me take this a step further. Jesus is not just teaching how hard it is to be saved if you're wealthy. He's teaching how hard it is to be saved, period, on our own. You see, we can't be saved on our own. Jesus gives us the illustration of an, a, a camel going through the eye of a needle. So he, he's being very intentional with the word pictures that he's building here. In Israel, in that part of the world, the largest land animal that walked around, the people would have seen and been very familiar with was a camel. You know, they had elephants further east of them, but they really didn't have elephants in Israel. Uh, you know, and so people may have heard of them, but they very likely may not have seen one but everybody would have been familiar with a camel. And so he points out that this giant creature, this camel, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, what's the eye of the needle? Why did he choose that? The eye of the needle would have been the tiniest thing that an Israelite would have been familiar with. Every Israelite would have seen a sewing needle and they would know just how tiny the tip of that needle is the eye of that needle. And so for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle would have been impossible in the eyes, in the word picture that he built. Now, let me chase a rabbit again, just very quickly. I, I heard taught years and years ago that the eye of the needle was actually a small tunnel that was in the wall of Jerusalem. And that from time to time, people would make camels crouch down and that you could you know, push and pull a, an, a camel through this, this tiny passage. Let me be very clear. There is no biblical, historical, archeological, or writings about this. This does not exist. This is a lie that was made up years ago. Who knows why, but this is a lie. 
There, there is no record, there is no uh, evidence that exists that there was a passage called the eye of the needle anywhere in the land of Israel. When Jesus is saying the eye of the needle, he's talking about the eye of a needle. And when we twist God's word to say something else, we miss what he's saying. I'll come back to that in just a moment, but let me be very clear. There is nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with being successful and having money and possessions and retirement. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, there are many examples in the Bible of wealthy people who were righteous and did great works for the Lord, partly because of their wealth. A great example is Joseph of Arimathea. If you were to read uh, the end of the Gospels, you'll read about a man who, when Jesus died on the cross, there was this wealthy man named Joseph. He was a religious leader and had lots of money. Uh, and through his wealth, he was actually able to ask the, the, the Roman leader, Pontius Pilate, he was, he was able to go to him because of his wealth and his stature to ask for Jesus's body. And then once he received the body because of his wealth, he had this, this wealthy, nice tomb to put Jesus's body in. And that actually fulfills a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament. You see, without Joseph of Arimathea and his wealth, there's prophecy from the Old Testament that could not have been fulfilled. And so there's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself. Later on in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the love of money. You see, when we worship money and when we place our trust in money, that's when money becomes a problem. That's when wealth becomes a sinful issue. You see, wealth along with many other aspects in life can lead to temptation and to sin. And that's what Jesus is warning us here. But I want you to catch what he says in verse 26 because that is what everything hinges on. Look with me again. Verse 26, it says, but Jesus looked at them. The disciples have just asked, then who can be saved? Verse 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Look at what he says. It's not hard, it's impossible. Passing an, a camel through the eye of a needle is not just hard, it's physically impossible. You cannot do it. You see why this lie about the eye of the needle being a tunnel that you could with enough work and enough effort fit a camel through? You see why that deception is so dangerous? It's because we're twisting God's word to make it say something that it should never say to us, that Jesus never meant. Jesus is trying to teach us here that to be saved is impossible in and of ourselves. It's only possible through God. Read this again with me. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You see what Jesus is teaching us here? You see, the ultimate point here is that following Jesus is not just hard, it's impossible in and of ourselves. Just like we can't fit a camel into the eye of a needle, we can't save ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves from our sins. 
It's impossible. But Jesus makes it possible. It's only through Jesus that that is possible. So notice what Jesus has done here. He's created a comparison scenario for us. He's compared the humility, the perfect, complete dependency that a child has with adults. He's taken that level of humility and he's compared it to the humility that we see that this man lacked. And we realize when we put these two accounts together, that Jesus is trying to teach us that humility is fully submitting to Jesus, giving everything we are to him. Our lives, our wealth, our relationships, our careers, everything is humbly laid in dependency at the feet of Jesus. Again, think about today's big idea. Your journey with Jesus hinges on humility. If you want to follow Jesus, quite frankly, you need to know your place. You need to realize that you are nothing and you can do nothing without Jesus. Think back. With man, salvation is impossible but all things are possible with God. That's what Jesus is teaching. Your rescue from your sins is impossible without Jesus. There are no good deeds that you can do. There's not enough money that you could donate. You cannot come to church enough or be a good enough person in order to earn your way into heaven. It's only through what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave that you can have eternal life. It's the only way. And maybe you're watching or listening right now and maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've got questions. Let me briefly unpack this. You see, we all sin. And that sin, the ways we disobey God or fall short of God's will or the ways that we know the good we should do and we don't do it, that sin leads to eternal punishment when we die but Jesus came and he died on a cross and three days later he rose from the grave and when he did that he gave us a way to be rescued from that eternal punishment that we would get and when we commit to Jesus by believing in him and everything he says and we proclaim him, we tell others about him. When we believe and commit and proclaim, we are then rescued from our sins. And rather than living eternally in punishment, we will live eternally in perfection with Jesus. And if you've got questions about that, if you're listening and you wanna know more or you'd like to talk to one of our pastors or you'd like to make a commitment to Jesus, uh, please, what I want you to do is I want you to grab your device and I want you to text the word CHANGING to 94000. That's CHANGING to 94000. We'll have somebody reach out to you and we would love to have a conversation and answer any questions that you might have about Jesus and what he's done for you. But, but it's not just impossible to be saved without Jesus. It's also impossible to continue in your journey with Jesus without him. 
You see, you can't live for Jesus without Jesus. Let's face it, we all have temptations and sins that we struggle with. For this young man, uh, in, in this account from Jesus' life, in this young man's life, his temptation was his wealth. He had placed more trust and more faith in his wealth than he had in God. He desired his wealth more than he desired to follow Jesus. But for all of us, that sin, that temptation is going to be different. Uh, for some of us, that temptation may be lust or worry or greed. It may be hatred and anger that we struggle with. There, there's just so many things that we may have. It may be selfishness or pride. And ultimately, we also need Jesus to help us understand what our temptations are, what our struggles are. And so I think too many of us who follow Jesus, I think too many of us don't stop and allow the Holy Spirit to speak and point out, to convict us of the sins or the temptations that maybe we're not fully aware of. I can tell you right now that there are sins in my life that I am very conscious of. I know that this is my struggle and I have to keep tabs on myself and I have to pray and lean into the strength that Jesus provides against those temptations and sins. But there are things that God has pointed out to me through prayer and quite honestly, through humility, that he's pointed out to me that without that, without him pointing it out, I would have never been aware of it. And I know that there are sins and temptations like that in all of our lives. And so how do we know? How do we become aware of those sins? Well, first off, prayer. But, but we have to approach prayer in humility. We have to realize that only Jesus can open our minds and hearts to the ways that we sin that may be hidden to us. And so we have to humbly ask the Lord to open our eyes to the ways that we don't follow him the way we should. But also maybe someone in your life that you really trust, maybe a pastor or a minister or a very godly friend or advisor could help you see this as well. And I would encourage you, go to someone that you trust. Maybe come to one of our pastors or me or, or one of our ministers and say, hey, I need help understanding the ways that I might not be aware of how I fall short of the glory of God, the ways I fall short of doing what God wants me to do. But one way or the other, we're called to take a hard look in the mirror and allow the Holy Spirit to point out the spiritual imperfections, the attitudes, the mindsets, the temptations and sins that we have that are not from Him. So I think it's critical that we do this and I think we should start right now. So, so we're gonna spend some time in prayer right now. And I'm gonna pray that the Lord would open our eyes to the ways that we fall short, even to the ways that we are not even aware of. So will you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, almighty God, all-knowing God, all-perfect God, all-present God, unchanging in your ways, gracious, merciful, and loving. 
Lord, we humbly come to you and we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to the ways that we are not following you perfectly. We pray that you would help us to see the ways that we don't depend on you completely, where we've placed our trust or our faith in things other than you. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the ways that we disobey you, the ways that our pride or our selfishness have have deceived us. Lord, we pray against any sins that we struggle with that maybe we're not aware of. We pray that you would soften our minds and hearts, that you would help us to be humble, to hear your Holy Spirit point those things out to us, that he would convict us and help us to be more like you. We thank you so much, Lord. We pray that you'll help us to take that hard look in the mirror so that just like that three-month-old baby, we can be 100% dependent on you. Help us to live in humility. We thank you so much and pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.